This morning we're going to talk about restoration. You go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 8. We're going to talk about the Shunammite woman here. And the background for that will come from 2 Kings 4. But before we get started with that, I want to um, talk about restoration. What is restoration? Restoration, the definition of restoration is the act of replacing to a former state or a renewal of something or a recovery such as in health. Um, how many of you have ever remodeled something or refurbished an antique or an old car or um, something like that? You know that you don't take a car or a brand new house and take it over to the body shop or go bust walls out of your house and fix it up. You know, that's foolish and we don't need to do that. So there has to be a need. There has to be some kind of uh, reason for restoration. Um, when we bought our house, uh, we were able to purchase it and it had been sitting for about two years, there was two inches of water in the basement. The carpet was nasty and dingy, and uh, the walls were atrocious. And we so we gutted the whole thing. Um, it had to get worse before we could make it better. You know, we had to put a new roof on. And when we tore the roof off, we couldn't stop. You know, we had to keep going. It was hard and it was discouraging at times. There were some days where we just didn't want to go work on it. You know, we couldn't quit. And uh, now that the restoration has been completed, we have a nice house to live in. And spiritually for us, John 3.30 says, uh, John the Baptist is speaking through the uh, writer John, and uh, he says, He, being Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. And spiritually for us, as we look through this, um, this process of restoration, um, just want to re remember that, that, that we must decrease. Before we can do anything for God, we have to come to a realization that uh, it's, it's nothing that we can do. 2 Kings 4 is, the, is where the Shunammite woman and the prophet Elisha um, kind of first, the story of where they first meet and how their um, interaction. The, Elisha passes through um, Shunamm often, and the Shunammite woman here and, his, and her husband decide to make a little chamber for him on the back of their house. They have a bed set up and a candle ready. Whenever he comes in, he just uses it freely. And um, the man of God here, Elisha, um, talks with his, his servant Gehazi and says, well, what can I do for them? What can I do to show them my appreciation for what they've done for me? And what do they need? And he talks around town and Gehazi tells him, well, they want a child. But the husband's old and uh, the woman hasn't been able to conceive. And Elisha tells him that when the time of life comes, you'll have a son. So they do, just like, just like he told them. And the child grows up and he's out in the field and he begins to have a headache. And they take this, the child to his mother and he, she holds him and puts his head in his lap and he passes away. And the, and the mother takes him, the Shunammite woman takes him and lays him on the bed that they prepared for Elisha in the little back room in the chamber that they made for him. And she runs. She runs straight to Elisha. And Gehazi and Elisha are standing there and they see her coming afar off. And he said, is that the, um, the Shunammite woman? Go and meet her. Go, go find out what, what she needs. And Gehazi goes out and talks to her and um, brings her back to Elisha and Elisha sends Gehazi out and says, go take care of this problem for him. Elijah come, or she, and uh, the Shunammite woman 
um, tells Elisha, I'm not leaving without you. I'm not going anywhere until you come back with me. So Gehazi goes and tries and he says, you know, he's, he's dead, he's gone. I can't do anything with him. Elisha goes and he lays himself out on the child um, twice. And uh, he, he uh, comes back to life and raises him from the dead. So he's already performed a wonderful miracle, not just by giving them a child that they weren't able to have, but the Shunammite woman had faith to go to the man of God, to Elisha, and the second time had a miracle of raising their son back to life. So she's already um, had a restoration in her life. You could say twice. So she's already had that faith built up. And when we get to Second Kings 8 here, verse 1, it says, Then Elijah... Elisha said unto the woman, whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go, thou and thine household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. Elisha had a relationship with this woman, with the Shunammite woman and her family, enough that he knew who she was when, he, when she came to him about her child. But he also went and told her specifically, Hey, there's going to be a famine in the land. Okay? Verse 2, And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned the land of Philistine seven years. She obeyed immediately. Verse 3, And it came to pass at the seven years end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha had done. And it came to pass... As she was, or as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha had restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. Um, I was actually not supposed to preach this morning. pastor came to me a few about a month ago and said, Hey, can you preach February 24th, Sunday morning? I want to give you lots of time to prepare. I want you to be able to uh, you know, have all the time that you need. Excuse me. And uh, I said, Yeah, sure, I'd love to. You know, That gives me a lot of time to prepare. Well, the Lord had something different in mind. Last Sunday morning, He announced that I was preaching this morning, and I came to Him after church, and I said, uh, are you sure I'm preaching? You know, you don't have anybody else coming in? He said, well, I already announced it, so here you go. <laughs> but it was actually a blessing, because the Lord has been, um, been dealing with Jamie and I a little bit. And right now, I needed this passage of Scripture. It was where I was reading my Bible, and I came to it, and God had a timely place. For me to read read over this and read this um, passage here, and I, I came up with this. I already had the outline. Um, when I read through it, I wrote it down. And I was hoping God would give me an opportunity to preach it when it was dear and near to my heart, when I was fresh in my spirit. And I was I knew exactly what I was preaching when Pastor said, You're gonna preach. You know, I already said it, so you might as well go ahead. I knew exactly what I was gonna preach because that's what God gave me. Personally, and I hope I can convey the same thing to you. I hope, I hope that you'll look at your life and see if there's a place um, where you've uh, had this loss 
or a problem that you're going through or a trial, that you can get some help this morning and receive the restoration that I was able to in my life here recently. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, please use me this morning, Lord, as your mouthpiece. God, if it's me, if it comes from me, Lord, it'll be wasted. It'll be in vain. But Lord, if it comes from you, if you'll use me this morning, God, I, I know that you'll be able to help somebody here this morning, Lord, just as you've already helped me. And God, I pray that you'd be with Pastor, Lord, give him your unction this morning, your liberty as he preaches, Lord, there in New York. Um, God, I pray that you would just bless. In your name we pray. Amen. I already gave you the background of the Shunammite woman. But here in verses 1 and 2, there's a famine in the land, and she had to leave. She had to leave everything. She had to leave her, her house, her crops that she had planted, her land. She had to leave her own country. Each of us have dealt with loss in our lives. Um, Sunday night I told you about the loss of my father when I was young. And that was devastating. But we've, each of us have lost something. A job, loved ones, friendships, or even health. But as I was going through this, I realized that it's, it's what we do and where we go and who we go to that determines how the loss will truly affect us. You know, it's your friends that you talk to. Pastor was a great, um, a great deal of encouragement to me in the last um, month that I was able to talk to him. Um, another pastor friend of mine, my brother. You know, my wife has been there. Jamie's been there for me, right beside me the whole time, of course. You know, if we stop and think about it, we can usually think of someone who's worse off than we are. You know, and, and it's really probably not as bad as we think it is. We're going to compare the Shunammite woman to Job this morning. We're going to go through the whole book of Job, not verse by verse, but we're going to go through the, um, the story of Job this morning as well and uh, compare and see what um, Job's um, situation was likened to the Shunammite woman. And we're going to try to go through it pretty quickly as it's kind of lengthy. But the background, turn to Job. Keep your place here because we'll be flipping back and forth. Turn to Job 1. And the first four, ver- four verses kind of tells where Job's at. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their house every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So he's got a nice thing going. He's wealthy. He's got a nice family. He's um, got all the possessions of that day that, that you, anybody could ask for, anybody could want. But his loss comes in verses 8 through 12. You know, God, or Satan, goes to God and says, Hey, your servant Job, I bet you, if you'll give me permission, because he couldn't do it on his own, God had to give him permission to affect Job, because God's hand is on us. And when we go through a trial, remember that God's granted that trial for us as a lesson. You know, so it didn't take. It doesn't take God by surprise. But but Satan asked God for permission to try Job, and God says, "Sure, go ahead, but you can't touch him. Don't touch him." You can do anything else you want to them. So verses 13 through 22, 
it all comes down on Job. He loses everything. He loses his cattle, his servants. Um, he loses all of his children. And one wind comes and knocks the house down and kills all of his, all ten of his kids. But you know, Satan didn't stop there. In chapter two, verse four through eight, um, he'd already lost his his family. He'd already lost his wealth. He's already lost his uh, really his position. You know, um, of power in that time was was through your what they had, their cattle and stuff like that. But Satan wasn't done there. He said, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll let me touch his body, then, then I know he'll, he'll uh, forsake you and he'll curse you. So God said, go ahead. Go ahead and try him. And in verses, I just want to read a verse um, 7 and 8 here in chapter 2. It says, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto, the, unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. So, so Satan struck him with these huge boils all over his body. So he took a broken piece of a pot and was scraping them off. That's how bad it was for Job, but he still didn't curse God. You know, complete loss. My first point was complete loss. The Shunammite woman lost her house, her crops, her land, her country. And, the, and Job lost basically everything too. But look back with me at 2 Kings 8. The Shunammite woman here. In verses 3 through 5, we're going to see my second point here of the complete humiliation that they went through. I know I'm getting... Bear with me. We'll get to the restoration. I know this is pretty gloom right now, but hold on a minute. I told you it had to get worse before it could get better, right? So we'll run through this real quick. The Shunammite woman here in verse 3 through 5. And it came to pass at the seven years end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elijah had done. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king, how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman, whose son he had restored to life, cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha had restored, restored to life. So she's crying. She's begging the king. She had to, to beg for her house and for her land. She didn't let pride get in her way. She went straight from the land of Philistine back to um, Shunem, right to the king, and said just begged the king to give her back um, her house and her land. That's all she asked for was her house and her land that she had worked so hard for, I'm sure, her family. And um, God put her in the right place at the right time because she went straight there for help and she wasn't ashamed. She was right there when Gehazi and the king were talking about what Elijah had done for her. And in Job, um, Job suffered... All kinds of persecution. And you don't have to turn there. We'll just read through these real quickly. The next chapters 4 through 37 are about Job's ridicule. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, it says his wife, his wife, Job's wife, tells him to curse God and die. The rest of those, those chapters there um, through 37, Job's friends mock him, scorn him, ridicule him, condemn him, because it must be something he did. He must have committed some kind of a sin, right? And Job, in 13.4, Job calls them all foragers of lies. 
Listen to these friends, okay? These are his friends. These are his, his friends that he, um, he walked with and he, he fellowshiped with. In 16.2, he calls them miserable comforters. 19.2, he says, How long will ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? 21.3, he says, After I have spoken, he says, Hold on, give me a minute. Let me say something here. Mock on. Then you can mock me again. Job went through a complete humiliation from his friends. He already had all this loss, but his friends just forsook him, really. They said, well, it must be something you did. You must be in the wrong, Job. They, they cursed him. They condemned him. They made lies about him. We've all gone through stuff like that. You know, you know where I'm coming from here. We don't need to belabor the point. But they each suffered that humiliation. And you know, um, hopefully that will humble us and bring us to a place where we can look to God. Hopefully we're going through it. We're looking to God like Job did, like the Shunammite woman did. She didn't lose her faith. So hopefully we can continue like our, our theme is. And, and keep our eyes on the Lord through this loss and through this um, humiliation process so we can come to a complete restoration. In verse 6, back in Second Kings chapter 8, our text here, in verse 6 it says, And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers. Now that's pretty good. She got everything back. Her land, her house, she got that back, but it doesn't stop there. It says, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of, her fe- of the field since the day that she left, even until now. She was restored all that she had. She gave, got her house back, her land back, but she was also restored the seven years of provision and profits that she didn't work for while she was gone during that famine. God restored all, everything that she had lost back to her. Our God is amazing, folks. Our God knows what we need, and He supplies our needs. And Job, the end of Job here, his restoration um, is twofold, really. At the end of Job, uh, chapter 42, verses 10 through 17, it tells us that he had 7,000 sheep in the beginning, and God restored unto him 14,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels, and God restored unto him 6,000. 500 yoke of oxen restored 1,000 yoke of oxen. 500 female donkeys, she asses, and restored 1,000. And he gave back his seven sons and his three daughters. And in, um, at the end of the chapter there, it says that his, his three daughters were the fairest daughters in the land. God is able to restore back more than you and I deserve. All the reward, none of the labor, If he so chooses. Turn with me to Ephesians 3, verse 20. I want you to see how good our God is here. Ephesians 3, verse 20. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly. Not just abundantly, but exceeding abundantly. More than abundant. Exceeding, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think, according to the power that worketh in us. 
Folks, if we'll keep our eyes on the Lord, He'll bring us through whatever trials, whatever situations we're coming to. And God will help us in ways that we don't even know. Ways that we can't even, that we don't even fathom. You know, we don't know how He's going to help us through some things. But He always does. He's always been faithful to us. If you'll think about it, you'll see where you didn't quite maybe have such a big loss as you thought you did. Maybe that humiliation wasn't quite so bad you thought it was. And when He provides that complete restoration in your life, it's, it's amazing. It's wonderful to know that, um, that He is um, everything to us and He can bring all of that back and give us a better um, life than maybe when we started before the loss. That's if you're saved. You know, I want to liken those physical things here spiritually um, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, if you're not saved... Um, this is what Jesus did for you. His loss in Luke, um, we're going to just look at Luke here. His loss is from heaven as a king. He came to earth to a manger as a baby in Luke 2. He was humiliated more than any man, um, human, ever has been. You know, Job's situation was pretty dire. But Christ, He was the creator of everything. And He was betrayed by His friend, Judas, one that walked with Him, one of His disciples, one of the closest people on earth were the disciples, and one of them betrayed Him. Peter, one of the closest of the twelve, denied Him three times. He was mocked and beaten, whipped and spat upon. He had his beard ripped out. He had a crown of thorns smashed down on his head. He was nailed naked to a cruel cross and hung by the very beings he created to bring him honor and glory. And if that wasn't enough, and Matthew seven twenty-seven forty-six tells us that God turned his back on him on the cross because of our sin, because of the shame that he had to bear for us, God couldn't look upon it. But you know, there Jesus had a complete restoration too. You know, He was all God at the same time He was man. He was all God. And I don't want to take anything like that away from Him that He couldn't do. But He did it willingly for us. And His complete restoration, He went from death in the grave, raising three days later, taking the keys of hell and death, Revelation tells us. He sent it to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. Romans 8, 34. Uh, Philippians 2. Go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. In closing here. We read here in verse 9. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hopefully you're saved this morning, but if you're not, there will come a day when you will bow. And hopefully it doesn't come to that where God makes you bow, but hopefully you can come to a realization that God went through this Jesus went through this loss and this humiliation for you. He did it for me. He did it for you. If, if I was the only one in the world, He would have done it just for me. He would have done it just for you if you were the only one. In closing here, 
I just want to tell you why Jesus did that. He died to make a way to heaven for us, make a way of salvation. It's a free gift, and if we'll trust Him by faith, um, He offers that we could have a home in heaven with Him and a personal relationship with Him, which is even, which is even more unbelievable, that He would want that and desire that from us, wicked sinners. You know, even, even when you're saved, you know, after you get saved, we still do a lot of things we shouldn't. But this is the only way. This is the only way to get and to receive and accomplish a complete restoration in your life. You need to be saved, first of all. You need to get that spiritual restoration. And then God can uh, fulfill those other restorations and help you through those trials and hard times as they come in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,